TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's the Score North Twin Show. Welcome into the Score North Twin Show. Zolget and uh, Jake DePew talking about a team that uh, got off to a great start and has now lost two consecutive games to, oh my God, the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Royals. Uh, Jake, you actually went to the two-game series uh, in Pittsburgh. Before we get to the actual games, that is one park that I've been told I have to go to. And judging from the texts that I got from you, it sounds like Target Field doesn't have too many current stadiums that probably people say this one's better than Target Field. But it sounds like this one, PNC Park, might be better than Target Field. PNC Park blew me away, Judd. It really did. It, it is a gorgeous park. Um, it, it is a lot like Target Field in that you have the skyline in, in right field. But what I think what differentiates it is the bridge, the bridge going across the Allegheny that's in sort of left center, uh, and then the actual Allegheny, uh, which you can see uh, from the press box looking out. It's just an absolutely gorgeous view. Um, it's modern, you know, it's, it's 20 years old now or close to 20 years old. It's aging really well. Um, so it's a, it is, it feels like a modern park, but it's just absolutely gorgeous there on the water. And I, yeah, I was really blown away. I, I agree with you. Target field is, is a top five stadium without question. Um, I would put PNC and Oracle in San Francisco as probably my one, two, and then target okay. field is probably three in that category. I think Fenway and Wrigley are just in their own separate um, category. Yeah. I don't think you can even compare, but Fenway would definitely be, you know, that, that's among my favorites as well, but it's just a totally different experience. But PNC is, is it really is amazing. And I, I would tell any Twins fan, you know, the next time the Twins are, are in Pittsburgh, or even if you just want to go and, and watch a random game, it is worth the trip. Um, when, when we can go to baseball games and travel again, God knows when, but hopefully someday, very, very soon, we, we can actually have fans step foot and drink beer because, uh, what was your experience or thoughts on covering your first baseball games without fans? Because that one took me not a long time. Like I adjusted to it eventually, but the first time and the first time you start to watch a game and like you look out and there's nothingness there. It is uh creepy is not the right word, but it is a feeling that you're like, this just doesn't really compute in my mind. Yeah. So that was part of the reason that I wanted to, you know, make a two ten hour, a ten hour drive there and a ten hour drive back from from Boston, where I live, to see this because I just, I mean, I love covering games generally, but I I had to experience what baseball was like in a pandemic. And I have to say, when they in the top of the first inning, I turned to Lavelle Neal. Lavelle was was also covering it, and I said, "This is so freaking weird." Um, and he was like, "You'll get used to it," and 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 I was used to it, honestly, by the end of the series, but. It's pure. It's total silence. So they they pump in a little bit of crowd noise. Pittsburgh doesn't do much crowd noise, uh, but you can hear everything. So you hear every f bomb. You can hear the ball, you know, hit into the catcher's mitt, which which is cool. Uh, but it's just yeah. very eerie. Um, you know, baseballs just go flying into the empty stands and just kind of roll to a rest, which I thought <laughs> was strange uh, and a little a little post apocalyptic. Um, it was funny. They were announcing the starting lineups on the first day. And when they announced Nelson Cruz, he just sort of jokingly went, yeah, cheering for himself because it was, he was just sort of making fun of, you know, the, the whole experience, I think. And um, I, you know, I, it's just, it's hard to fully put into words 
but it is, it's very creepy. Uh, it's surreal. And I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I witnessed it. And, and I want I'll hopefully write about it at some point in the future. I hope that this is a one-time thing though, because. Oh yeah, you got that right. And another, another really weird thing is that you walk through the concourse, right? So I was walking through the concourse, just kind of looking around and there are players basically in cages almost um, mm-hmm. who are working out in the concourse. So they're lifting weights or doing. Target field are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're doing. They or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And you're not allowed to have any contact with them. You know, you, you can't take pictures. You can't talk to them at all. But it's almost like, I don't want to say it's like a prison where they bring people into like, a, a, you know, like if you're in solitary confinement, right, you get like one hour of free time a day or outside time and they like put you in a cage and you can do j- jumping jacks or whatever. It's not quite to that level, but it does, it, that's sort of what it reminded me of. Like you have these players just isolated by themselves in the concourse uh, in these like little enclosed areas. And it's just totally bizarre to see that. Um, and, and, you know, there are players sitting in the stands, which is weird. Yep. Uh, and it's just, you know, there's no access obviously for reporters and yeah, man, it was, it was very strange. And I just wonder, is this joyless for the players? Like, I, I wonder how much fun they're having. I hope that they are. And it seems like they get into it during the games, but you know, I was walking by the team bus after the first, the night game that they won. And, um, I walked by the team bus and they were all on the bus and they were just sitting there. They all had their masks on. They were all just kind of looking, you know, straight ahead. And I just thought to myself, I wonder if this is any fun for them or if it's just a stressful slog, you know? And I, just, would, go ahead. I, I would guess that the games are actually the most fun. Yes. It's got to be, if you're a visiting team, because now what? I, I believe that the new protocols that were put out after some teams violated them are that you're not supposed to leave your hotel, which, by the way, is absolutely right. You shouldn't. Um, but my guess is the only joyful time of this entire experience is the games themselves and being at the ballpark. Because, you know, if you go back to your hotel, and yeah, I get it. It's a five-star, okay? But you are in that room. You are not to really move. You're, you know, you basically, had, I think, now call down for food, uh, blah, blah, blah. I would think the only time that is actually fun is the game itself and i would say the one thing that would be to me uh jake the hope for survival of this not being a complete slog for players and coaches is the fact that you're playing 60 games right like if this was 162 or something i think you'd go nuts i think you'd go absolutely crazy if this was if this was april and you're sitting there saying my god my entire summer is going to be spent in this existence uh and they're still well paid and you know, as far as things are going now in society, no one's going to feel bad for professional athletes. But that being said, I think the fact that we are going to get through this very quickly and that the season's going to be done like that probably makes it a little bit easier to stomach because you know that if, if you're good, the playoffs are going to come around soon. And if you're bad, you're going to go home soon. It's not going to be, you know, if you're a if you're a crappy team, it's just going to be done quickly, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think... I think they probably had a lot of excitement at the very beginning because baseball was back. And I think there'll be a lot of excitement at the end. And obviously as we get into October, but I think right now, especially on these road trips, you know, they see what's going on with the Cardinals and what happened with the Marlins, where if they get sick on the road, they're isolated in a hotel room for 10, 11 days. I mean, that's that's hard, man, to, to not be able to leave a single room for that long. And so I think they're probably really worried about getting it. 
And my guess is that it's, it's pretty stressful to be on these road trips. I think road trips for players during a normal season are fun and they go out and they see new cities or whatever. And I think now it's just like this huge push to stay in this bubble and not be exposed to anyone. And that would be pretty intense. And yeah, I mean, nobody feels sorry for them. Obviously they're well-paid, but, but I, I would guess that, that you're right, that the games themselves are probably fun, but I think the travel aspect of it is probably pretty stressful. And I, and I understand why. Yeah. And flying now would be a complete pain. And so, yeah, the, the constant concerns, if, if you're smart, you're probably concerned constantly. If you're not very smart, you might do something dumb, but then that runs into the problem of do you do something dumb and infect a teammate or two or 14. Uh, so the Twins took two from the Pirates here on Monday and Tuesday. The four-game series then continued, as we just talked about, at PNC Park on Wednesday and Thursday. The Twins win on Wednesday. They lose on Thursday. You were, as you just said, in attendance for both games. Your thoughts on what you saw from, and this is odd to say, from what is a basically been largely a punchless club at times, the Twins, and a team that's pitching, for the most part, quite well, which I don't think at the beginning of this whole thing, we would have said, you know what, my prediction is, they're not going to hit great, but they're sure going to pitch. Yeah, you know, it's weird because it seems like they have a punchless offense, but at least as of games played through Wednesday, because I did research for an article I wrote on Score North, they were actually third in the AL in runs scored. So it's not as bad as we think. I think we've been, we got spoiled by last year and a team that was just unbelievably good offensively. Um, and so I, I do think that's part of it, that our baseline is much higher than it, than it otherwise would be. But, yeah, I mean, the offense is clearly not clicking on all cylinders. There are a number of guys who are struggling. Mitch Garver is really in a funk right now. I think, I think the league is pitching him a lot differently. I think they're giving him a lot more off-speed stuff, and he's struggling with that. Um, but, but Rosario doesn't look quite right. Uh, Sano is still getting his timing. It's really been Marwin Gonzalez and Nelson Cruz that have, that have carried this club, and I guess Kepler too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to rip them too much because they're 10-4. and four. They still have one of the best records in baseball. And they're obviously going to make the playoffs. And so in a lot of ways, this almost doesn't matter. It's all kind of glorified spring training to get ready for a three-game, like, death match in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Because there's no way, barring something COVID happening, that the Twins are missing the playoffs altogether. But mm-hmm. I will say that game Thursday against the Pirates was disappointing. They had a 5-3 lead, and Pittsburgh's basically a double-A team. I, I follow baseball very closely, and I knew, like, five or six guys on their team. Like, that team is in major rebuild mode. They had a 5-3 lead in the eighth, and Romo comes in, and it was just a little bit too kind of lackadaisical. You know, like it was almost like it, they just thought this is in the book and we don't need to be intense about this because he, you know, and Romo's, I love Romo as a guy and he's still a good pitcher and he's an intense guy and I'm sure he was pissed off. Uh, but, you know, he walks Gerard Dyson after getting ahead 0-2. Gerard Dyson is hitting like 100 this year. He has no power. Yeah. Literally, you yeah. just got to throw the ball down the middle to him in that situation. And so to walk Gerard Dyson, a very speedy guy, uh, was a big mistake. And then he just let him steal second and third really without paying much attention. And Dyson ends up scoring on a ground out to make it a one-run game going into the ninth, and that set the stage for, for Rodgers to blow it. That wasn't on Rodgers. You know, he gave up a broken bat single and then a little ground, a little double down, down the third baseline uh, that really wasn't hit hard, and then just, you know, a chopper up the middle. So go ahead. Go ahead. I got a question for you. Yeah. So for the most part, when it comes to strategies now and shifts, 
I'm on board. Like, I get it. E even if I don't like it, I get it completely. Help me out here. Adrianza on the double down the line in Pittsburgh late in that game. Um, I understand that they are playing the hitter where they think he will hit the ball. But if you play the percentages of what's the worst outcome, okay, if he hits the ball where Adrianza isn't, and, and we have him guarding the line, or the Twins, I shouldn't say we, if they have him guarding the line, um, it's a single. All right. If he the batter does what he did, which is hits the ball down the line, and Adrianza is shifted over towards shortstop, it's a double. Explain to me why you wouldn't basically take the philosophy of what you think you should do and say, no, you know what's more important here? What's more important is we're willing to concede the single on the off chance that the ball does go down the line because if Adrianza is playing no doubles defense, he gets that ball. I mean, he, he's a good fielder. He's not an incompetent third baseman. Can you explain to me what you think the strategy is there and why you wouldn't almost overrule what the book tells you to do in that one case? Yeah, I saw Royce tweet after the game. He said something like, it's official, analytics has killed no doubles defense. Um, and I agree with him. I, I, I think I would have kept Adrian's on the line, and it's easy to say that now after that happened. But I think by shifting him, you put losing into the equation more than you would if you keep him on the line. Right? Like if That's what I'm saying. Line, yes. Then you increase the chances that the Pirates tie the game by getting a single there and presumably scoring a, a runner from second with nobody out, and then it goes to extras. And you take, you take your chances, right, because you're a vastly superior team, and so you still have a good chance to win in extras. By, by, by putting him in no doubles, uh, you're taking losing out of the equation or, or, or reducing that percentage. Um, and so I, I agree with Royce. I think that was a mistake, and it's a judgment call. You know, if, if, if that batter hits a ball right to Adrian's in the shift and you say, good move, Twins, analytics work. Um, but, I, yeah, I think I would have played no doubles there because I, I like my chances in extra innings against the Pirates, and so I don't want to put losing into the equation or increase the chances of, of that happening, and that's exactly what happened. They had second and third, nobody out. He strikes out Polanco, and then Newman hits that chopper up the middle. So, yeah, I thought that was a mistake. Um, by Rocco, but it's a judgment call. It's a 50-50 play, and we're only talking about it because it didn't go their way. But, uh, yeah, I think you, you want to prevent the worst possible outcome there. Right, and, and you have, look, mo most of the time what the book tells you to do now is what you should do, and I completely get that. Um, I guess what I'm questioning is probably every one out of, let's say, 10 to 15 times, you've got a brain to say, well, the book says this, but let's do that. Like that's sports, and and that goes back years. You know that's not new. It goes back 100 years that every once in a while the scouting report, which is what this is. I mean, this is flat out what the and it might not be generated by some guy named um, Ed who saw the game smoking a cigar. Now I, I get that, but that scouting report told you that the shift and to have Adrianza playing where he was made sense. But every once in a while, I think, uh, Jake, you have to look at that and be like, you know what, that does, that does make sense 95% of the time, but this is the 5% where I'm going to say no. Because um, I, I think we get, too, we get too involved in trying to like break this down as, as far as the new age of baseball. The shift is a scouting report. It's just a form. It, it's a different form. And so this was one where if I'm Rocco, I would say, 
my gut instinct, my baseball instinct tells me that we should do this because, because of what you just said. And he didn't. And I'd be curious to know if across the board, do, do we ever now get a guy like Rocco saying, my instinct is we need to do this. And I'm not, and I'm not going to play this Trump card a lot, but in these cases, I've got this job to do exactly this. So just a thought. Right, okay. I, I think he should have, I, I don't know if he has, per, you know, permission from the front office to do that. I'm guessing he does, but yeah, I mean, what I if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if they came down and fired his ass because he told Adrian to play no doubles defense? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that would happen, but I I wouldn't be surprised if the front office says we go with what the book says, we go with what analytics says every time, no matter the situation. I don't know that that's true, but it, that did seem like a situation where, yeah, where it, it made much more sense to to guard the line. So um, I agree. I mean, I think analytics is a great thing. I'm very much pro analytics, but there are times when you have to go with your gut or when you have to say, okay, analytics tells us one thing, but the game situation tells us something right. else. Game theory, right? Game theory, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, you, you've got Gregory Polanco on deck. So there, there's a runner at first when that double was hit. Gregory Polanco's on deck. He's a left-handed hitter. You feel pretty confident in Taylor Rogers getting him out, and Rogers did indeed strike him out. So, uh, you know, you, you figure even with first and second nobody out, if he can get Polanco, if he can strike Polanco out, uh, you still have a pretty good chance to win that game and, and, and a very good chance of at least sending it to extras. So, yeah, I thought it was the wrong move. Uh, again, it's a, it's a 50-50 play, but it definitely didn't go in their favor. And it's just, it's been too, a little too lackadaisical. That game was a little too lackadaisical. It just didn't seem like there was any intensity there at all. What scares me is this. They're making the playoffs. I almost, this is going to sound weird, I almost don't care what the seed is because, okay, you're at home with no fans, right? Potentially, and it's going to be cold out. So, like, the whole thing about because the top seeds don't get a buy or some type of reward for what they've done, I almost don't care what your seed is. But here's my, so here's my concern. My concern is not these two games. I mean, they're going to lose games. I I get that. My concern is what you're talking about from the lackadaisical, nature of play and go down this path with me on this part of that the majority of their schedule the teams suck like the majority of their schedule has just the, the cubs are good um but you know i'm sorry when you're going from cleveland which has some pitching but right now is, is last in baseball with a 189 average okay so cleveland is not a terrible team but they're not that great they're not cer- they're certainly not a team that scares you and, and offensively aside from like one game against the White Sox, they've been terrible at the plate. Then you go to Pittsburgh. You're right. It's a double-A team. We don't know any of the players for the most part. Uh, the players that we do know are largely recycled guys. Then you go to Kansas City. So here's my worry. Do you get to that three-game – how prepared are you going to be, I should say, for that three-game playoff, which is, by the way, going to be done in the you know blink of an eye? How prepared are you going to be if you're playing a pretty good team? You, you know – if you went and played the Yankees, right? Like, let's say you went th- this year, uh, in two weeks, you went and played the Yankees for a couple games. I think we could all say that gives you a little bit of a barometer for this Twins team. But aside from the Cubs games, are you going to get that? And that's what worries me going into a best two of three where you could be done before you know what hits you. So that's my, that's my long-term Zolgad worry panic 
is that I don't think this schedule is preparing a good baseball team for what they're going to face when it matters. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Their schedule is soft. Uh, I think the games against the White Sox and Indians in September will, will be intense, and they, they do play the Cubs in September, like you were saying. But you're right. I mean, they, they have, I think going into the year, they had the easiest schedule in baseball. Um, and so it, it is possible that they're getting a little bit lethargic and, you know, that, that we saw that in Pittsburgh and we saw that in the first game of the Royal Series where they're just like, we're better than these teams and, you know, we're, we don't, you know, need to go 100%. And, I mean, definitely, you know, the, the pitchers that they use in that first Royals series, I mean, they, they started Smeltzer, or that first Royals game, they started Smeltzer, uh, and then they brought in, I believe, Poppin, uh, at Whistler, and then Poppin. And that was a one-run game. At Bar, yeah. Yeah, at Beal Bar, thank you. Uh, and, you know, that was a, a tie game or a one-run game the whole time. And, you know, so – they, they really, I don't want to say they punted because they only gave up three runs and those pitchers pitched well uh, and it was really on the offense, but it didn't seem like, I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough call because they were 10-3 and three going into that game. You know you're going to make the playoffs. You don't want to overextend your guys, but you also don't want to, to take it too easy and just lose games that you shouldn't be losing. And, right. and get to your point of the schedule, I, I think that could be a concern. I think this team is so talented and wants to win so badly that they will you know, get fired up uh, when the playoffs come around. Um, but, you know, I do worry that they could get into a three-team uh, race in the Central with Chicago and Cleveland. And if they end up in third place, uh, then suddenly you're a seven or an eight seed and you might have to go play the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. And even with no fans, that is not a first-round matchup that you want. To me, there are two teams that you want to avoid in the first round of the playoffs. The Yankees are the first. You do not want to play them in the first round. Second, honestly, is Cleveland. And I know Cleveland has no offense right now. That could change by the end of the year. But do you want to face Shane Bieber in game one of a three-game series and then follow that up with Clevenger and and Carrasco or Savali? Savali? Yeah. No, I don't. No, no interest in that. No, I prefer to avoid those both. Thank you very much. You're right. Yeah. So I I think – you definitely want to avoid finishing third in the central because if you finish third, there's a good chance you're playing the Yankees and you want to somehow avoid a matchup with Cleveland. Those are the two teams. You would need to work to finish third in the division though. Like you would need to actively try and lose game. I don't think they can. I, I just think that the schedule for the most part is so weak um, that, that they're going to finish first, maybe second. If you finish third, I think you should say, my God, what went wrong? Right. Um, I got a question for you off the Romo talker, and I'm going to call it WWRD. What will Rocco do? Um, I'm getting a little bit concerned on this basis, the sample size baseball folks. I know very, very small, um, but help me out here. Rocco Baldelli has a guy who has turned himself into an elite reliever. To me, right now, he's a shutdown guy in the eighth, and his name is Tyler Duffy. Um, Rocco seems to like to rely on Sergio, and this is not saying that Sergio doesn't have a place because he does, he's good, all of those things. Um, but if we get to a three-game playoff, okay, and um, it's a back-to-back, let's say you're in game two, and um, Duffy pitched in the eighth in game one, I want to see Duffy again, okay? That, that Pittsburgh game, personally, in the eighth, that's a close game on the road. There's... I. Duffy pitched the day before, but he hadn't thrown a ton of pitches, and he hadn't pitched on what would have been Tuesday. So he could have come back, and they didn't do it. 
What do you think about my concern that there seems to be a thought in Rocco's head that, well, this is how I want to do things, or this is who we're going to use, and we're going to spread the wealth, which in an ordinary circumstance, I'm fine with. But situationally on that one, that day it didn't concern me. But if that's a precursor to what he plans to do when the games get important, uh, Tyler Duffy's too good not to get the opportunity to get to hand it to Taylor Rogers in the night. Yeah, so I, I understand what Rocco's thinking was, and I know that you do too, which is it's the Pirates, it's a two-run lead, we're trying to spread these guys out and, and have them healthy throughout the season and into the postseason. That's a good spot for Romo. Personally, I try to lock down every single win that I can with my best guys. And, let you know, if Duffy came to him and said, I need a day off, you know, we oh, would yeah, that's different. That's different, and we, and we don't know that. But if, if Duffy was available, yeah, I think I do pitch him in back-to-backs because I think – in a 60-game season, let's say you win 35 games, right? And let's say uh, 25 of those are close, right? So you only really need to give Duffy, um, Rogers, and May, you know, your top guys in Clifford, maybe 25 appearances throughout the course of the year, right? In games that are close, you have a lead. So I think in every one of those situations, at least until you've clinched the division or clinched, a, you know, a high seed, you bring those guys in and you just lock it down. So I do get it. Romo's been effective this year. He had a bad inning, but he's been good. Um, and and I, I might have done the same thing. But I think the 20,000-foot the view for me is lock down every win. In every close game that you're, that you're leading, you bring in your top guys and get the win because a win is so valuable uh, in a 60-game season. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, but as far as the playoffs, I don't think we'd see Romo in that spot. I, I, think, I think in a three-game series, they basically only pitch their very top guys unless they have a big lead. Um, Rockwell operates in mysterious ways, Jake DePew. That's the only thing. Like, I, I, never dis- I never dismiss a move he makes as he wouldn't do this again. Um, and look, Romo's good. Not trying to say he's not. But that was just one game where it was a close game it felt like a weird game and you're on the road and I'm with you, which is in a 60 game season, don't take things for granted. You know, it's completely different if this is a 162 game season and this is April 21st. Okay. Then, then I might not like it, but I totally get it. But the parameters, the price of poker for 2020 is changed. has changed. It's just different. Um, so that, that move got me strategically to thinking, I wonder what he's doing here, because he, he brought in Sergio to what? Close out a couple games of the previous homestand. I think he likes him a lot. And, and you know, at one time, Sergio's stuff probably deserved that. And I'm not saying he can't do it now, uh, but it opened up a door that I found to be interesting. And, again, when it comes to Baldelli, I don't dismiss things he does as being, well, he wouldn't do that if. I always think to myself, I'm not quite sure because he's a hard guy. You know, he, he's a hard guy to he's got his philosophies. And I think Derek and Thad do, too. So that was just a thing I saw. And I thought to myself, Duffy's going so damn good. Duffy is. And I, as far as I, I know, he's healthy. He's absolutely fine. And if he had thrown a ton of pitches on uh, Wednesday, I would have said, yeah, I get it completely. So just a thought. Well, I think, I think Rocco, first of all, I think Rocco's a great manager. I really do. And I, yeah. I like him a lot. But I think he's so big on making sure that his guys feel confident at all times, right? He, if you ask a question and you try to 
get him to talk negatively about his players, he will go in the opposite direction as fast as he possibly can. He refuses mm-hmm. to rip his players ever in the media. And he should. I mean, that's a, that's a smart move. That's, that's managing millennials, right? Uh, and, but I think part of maintaining that confidence is saying, I have confidence in you, Sergio Romo, my fifth best reliever, to lock down a two-run lead in the eighth inning. I want to show you that I believe in you. And I think that makes sense uh, on a lot of levels, but I also think you have to be a little bit more cutthroat about it at times and say, Tyler Duffy is my best guy. This is a close game. We're on the road. It's early in the season. These wins matter. We want to get into a position where in September we can rest these guys because we have such a comfortable cushion in the division. Uh, so lock right. down the wins now, right? Exactly. That's exactly. Because Romo, as, as good as he was and as good as he still is, he is your fifth best reliever, right? You've got May, Clippard, Duffy, and, and Rogers, And so I, mm-hmm. I think that you pitch one of those four guys in that eighth inning. Okay, new, new game, Jake DePue. Cause for concern. Oh, I because like the, the IL list is starting to mount. And, you know, again, there's not a lot of time. You don't have a lot of time to screw around here and uh, send guys on rehab stance. And, oh, man, it's only, it's only May, so everybody calm down. No, this is, the, this is the season to panic. Cause for concern. I'm going to run through the – I've got five names here. So some we can blow off quickly and some we can certainly delve into and talk about. Luisa Rise is an interesting one, okay? He left a inter-squad game at Target Field with a knee problem on a Friday, I think three weeks back now. He came back the next day. Rocco said he was going to be fine, and sure enough, he came back the next day and was fine. He has now not played in two games because of, of what they're trying to say is very minor. Don't worry about it. Let's not talk about it. Knee soreness. Uh, he has definitely not looked as good at the plate as he did last year, which could be accounted for by adjustments as well, because he came in and was great. And I think a lot of the league, as well as uh, Jake DePew and and Judd said, who is this guy? Um, All that being said, what is your cause for concern with Luis Arise and the Twins trying to dismiss any problem there might be with that knee? Can can we do this on a 1 to 10 scale, with 1 being no... You can make up the rules all you want! All right, I'm making up the game, so yes, do whatever you want. I love this game. I love this game. Uh, I will say uh, a seven for Luis Arise. I, I do think, <laughs> I, think I think there's some cause for concern because this is this this knee thing. The Twins will downplay it to death, right? That's what they do with injuries. They never, ever, ever admit when an injury is serious, or they never will tell you the severity of an injury. And we can talk about that with Donaldson in a minute. Uh, the fact that Arise was originally in the lineup on Thursday and then he was a scratch and they inserted Adrianza and changed the lineup and, and they said, oh, it was just a day, you know, we, we wanted to give him a day. And then he wasn't in the lineup again yesterday. That tells yeah. me that this is a lingering issue with him. He hasn't been running well. He's not particularly fast to begin with, but he's really, I, I, at least in my opinion, struggled to get down the line. Um, in the last few days, and he's fouled a couple of balls off his foot. Uh, and that's a guy you, you need, he needs his legs. He's been hitting more balls in the air, and that could be because he's a little bit hobbled as well. Uh, so I, I think he'll be fine, um, but I would be a little bit concerned about him right now, yes, because his average is low, uh, he's hobbled, and if he's not in the lineup today, uh, I, I think you can start to hit the panic meter a little bit more. And part of the reason that we panic 
about these things when maybe we shouldn't is because the Twins are not forthcoming with injuries. So I have to assume that the injury is more serious than it is if guys are not in the lineup because they don't tell the truth about it. Yeah, that's absolutely true and fair. Uh, I'm going to give a rise. I'm going to give it a four. Okay, I, I think it's oh. going to be a lingering. I think it's going to be a lingering problem all year, but I don't think it's going to stop him from playing. And, and the thing that I can't decide at the plate with him is is he not hitting as well because his knee hurts or have pitchers adjusted? Because if you go back to last year and and the way he hit, I mean, we, we've talked about this too. His approach at times is like he's been playing in this league for 10 years. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but, but the great thing about professional sports, especially in, you know, at its highest level is the ability of pitchers and teams to adjust. So I'm going to give this a four. I'm going to say it's going to be a year-long problem, but I think he can probably play through it. Um, you know, I'm not going to be surprised if come November or so, the knee has to be cleaned out or something like that. But I'm not going to panic too much there because I want to save my panic for this one. This one, I think you might need to sound the alarm very soon on because this is exactly what you're talking about in the Twins not acknowledging severity when we know it's not good. Josh Donaldson, who a week ago Friday, left the uh, game in the second inning against Cleveland with right calf tightness. And okay, that sounds fine until you do some research and realize that Donaldson admitted earlier in that week on Instagram that he tore his right or left calf basically or had major problems seven times within a period that I believe started in 2017. And, and he missed he missed 30 plus games, I believe, with the Blue Jays because of a calf problem in 17. I, and I believe Jake DePew, that was his right calf. And then in 18, I think it was the left calf, and he had like a shoulder problem too. And basically that season got wiped out. And that's why he came back with the Braves on a cheap deal and then played great. Um, I'm giving this one an eight though for 2020 because it's a four-year contract. And if I'm the Twins, I am not going to screw around with, oh, that's too bad. He blew his calf out. And now he can't play into 21, okay? I'm giving this an eight on the short term. I think this is very close to sound the alarm. He's still ha having problems. And this is probably why there weren't more teams um, in the winter that pursued him aggressively. Stuff like this is things that teams know about. And when you sign a guy to this type of contract at his age, you hold your breath and hope. And when it comes and bites you in the ass this quickly, sound the bleeping alarm, Jake DePew. My cause for concern is a nine with Donaldson, at least for 2020. Uh, so I'm panicking right along with you. I think he has a history. I mean, this is all like you just said. He has a history of calf injuries. He had to leave a game in the second inning, which you know Donaldson is the type of guy that he absolutely hates to do that and would only do that if there is some sort of issue. Uh, yeah. They tried to they tried to string him along. They didn't put him on the IL for a week. Uh, he he tried to give it a go in Kansas City yesterday pregame and basically told them he he's not ready yet. And now they're finally putting him on the IL. Clearly, he has calf issues and they're resurfacing now. So in terms of 2020, yeah, I think this is a a major issue in a 60 game season. Uh, you know, if he can't come back um, or he can't come back until September and he struggles to get his timing. Uh, because he, you know, he hasn't had any reps. It's it's a it's a major problem. You bring him along slowly. Obviously, you you play it cautiously. Um, but I think 
They're not going to have him for a chunk here. And you're always holding your breath now when he does come back that he doesn't re-aggravate it. So uh, yeah. I, I love the Donaldson signing. I will still defend it. I think it was a good move. You take your chances with the injury. But the fact that this has come up now after one week or whatever, you know, he was injured in the first week of the year, basically. Um, how could you not be concerned about that? Yeah, and the problem there, again, is if this was a short-term contract, I might be like, well, give it a shot, right? But it's a four-year deal. Um, and so you can't say that. And, and again, I would stress this. If I'm the twins, everything, my, my reality of what I'm concerned about the most, Jake, is 2021 because look this is going to be fun and if you win the world series hooray but i will go back to it's 60 games um i want to win the real thing next year before by the way i think we're, we're going to get potentially a long shutdown of baseball because the uh, the um cba is going to be up so yeah the donaldson thing just doesn't sit right uh pitching wise so odo's going to come off the il today we're recording this on saturday twins are playing kansas city and, it's, and and jake is going to start against danny duffy in kansas city so i guess the concern about him can be put on pause until we see that start uh starting pitchers rich hill who by the way is on the road trip and, and is on the il and the interesting thing homer bailey who had a good first start against the cardinals at target field also placed on the il last weekend and is not on the trip so rich hill and bailey your uh, your cause for concern meter on those two is what? For Rich Hill, it's a five. And the reason I say it's only a five is because you don't need Rich Hill until October. Like, if Rich Hill doesn't, doesn't throw another pitch in a regular season game and just throws bullpens and you have him in bubble wrap until October, that's fine because the guy has proven he can come back after lengthy delays and pitch really well, right? He did that throughout his career with the Dodgers. Uh, his his one and only start with the Twins. He pitched exceptionally well. I think five shutout innings. Uh, so I, you know, I think they're going to bring him along very slowly, and that's just fine. He's on the trip. He's he is throwing. He's playing catch. Uh, so I'm not that concerned about Hill. Do I think he's going to give them ten starts this year? No. Does he need to? Absolutely not. He just needs to be there for October first. Now, if he's not throwing in September, then my alarm meter goes off, and it's I'm at like a nine. But I'm not that concerned about Hill. Homer Bailey, he's not even throwing. He's not on the trip. He's got arm an arm issue. Uh, my cause for concern would be like a 7.5 with him. The thing is, I don't think they necessarily need him, and they get Pineda back in like 20 games. Dobnik's yeah. been phenomenal. So, like, if they don't have Homer Bailey, it's not the end of the world. Uh, you'd like to have him for depth, and the fact that he it doesn't seem close, uh, it, it, you know, it's concerning, but it's just not that big a loss if they don't get right. it. Right, yeah. For Hill, I, I would say my concern is about a three or, or four, and I'm with you completely. I think that this whole thing is Rich Hill pitched great once, right? And he's an old man. He's 40. He's 40 years old. He's an old man. He's breaking down. I mean, color me shocked. Old guys break down. Uh, but he can still be incredibly effective. And if you can get those, if you can get those effective innings in the fall, that's the only concern. And so if he can pitch in 10 days, great. If he can't, that's fine too. If you can get him out there, to your point, in that three-game playoff series, that's the key. So I'm not concerned there. And, in fact, I think that the Twins are – and I mean this in a good way, okay? 
The twins are sneaky enough that I wouldn't put it past them to say, hey, Rich, come here. Yeah, your back hurts, man. Your back hurts. And he's like, yeah, it does hurt. I'm old. And your arm sort of hurts too, right? Yeah, I'm old. So anyway, um, if you get postseason starts from Rich Hill on a one-year contract, it's gravy, that or, or that's good. Uh, but whatever you get from him in the course of this 60-game season itself is gravy. Uh, Bailey is concerning. It's probably an eight. But yeah, Pineda's going to come back at the end of August, correct? And so yeah. once he's back, I would guess that he had a good chance to step in for Bailey anyway. Uh, again, it's a one-year contract. So if Bailey gives you something, that's great. But if you can replace him, that, that's fine too. My expectations for Homer Bailey are so low that if he gives you a good start, which he did against the Cardinals in the target field opener, that was fantastic. Um, but I was surprised by it. So, so am I panicked about Bailey? Absolutely not. Do I think that it's odd that he is sort of breaking down already? Absolutely. Um, but this also comes back to one thing that we're going to see, Jake, on Saturday in KC, and that's Odo start. Because if Odo Rizzi comes back and he's fine, that, that becomes imperative. Now, if he comes back and has to leave after three because his back tightens up, that's a problem too. So, so until we see that, we don't know. But I do think that a linchpin to this entire conversation is how, how Odo does, because if Barrios calms down, which I think he's starting to do, this is not to say he's Colfax, but he's starting to, you know, he's starting to calm down. So if Barrios calms down and now Odo slots into the two role and things start to go the way that they're supposed to, it becomes a lot less alarming and concerning. So I do think that Jake's start in Kansas City is going to be very interesting and instructive to watch. Because backs do scare me. That's the one thing. Backs, backs can scare you, and backs can flare up very quick. Right. And one thing I do want to say about Hill is while the Twins may not want to pitch him again until the playoffs, I believe his contract has incentives for games started. I think it's re, but they had to rework it because of how short the season is. And I don't know, to your point, I don't know what that conversation was and if they still just basically took that incentive and took the starch down or if they paid him or what. Because yeah. it definitely did. It definitely did at first. Yeah. So, so I guess one thing that that at least is worth monitoring is that if he does have incentives for games started, uh, he might want to get back. He might have a motivation to get back out there more quickly than the Twins would like him to. So, you know, if he was just making a guaranteed salary, uh, you know, he's a veteran. He has nothing to prove. He might just say, okay, we'll just shut me down and, and ramp me back up sure. in September. But if he has incentives, uh, you know, he has more motivation to try to push it. So. Uh, and then he could potentially get hurt, um, you know, in, in August when, when the Twins don't really need him. Because that's the whole thing. And we've been, that's kind of the theme of this podcast. These are all concerning. You know, all these issues we've talked about are concerning on a certain level, but it also just doesn't matter because the Twins are making the playoffs. And it just, it, it all comes down to this three-game series. And so it's it's really just about health, just getting these guys. Right. But the, but the question to me is, where are you at when that series starts? Right. And that's that's where it does matter in the sense of are you setting yourself up to be in the best position possible uh, when that series starts? Because that series is scary. I, you know, two of three, and and this is not a this is not a wild card one game. Well, we're a wild card, and it's going to be fun, right? Like the wild card game is fun and it's 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 intense, but uh, it, it's two wild card teams. 
this is, you know, the Twins could win the Central, be the best team in baseball, and in two games be done. And so I think that I think that's where uh, it feels a lot more intense, and, and you want to see this team on the right track. Because if, you know, when they went as a uh, wild card team a few years back and lost to the Yankees, that was too bad. But, hey, they popped up. That was fun. This is not going to be considered fun to me. It's going to be considered a very pressure-packed, very quick series. And if you have one bad start or one managerial screw-up, I, I don't care what, you know, bye-bye. And now it's like, what happened here? So, Absolutely. And and that's, what, that's why I hate this playoff format. I was all about expanded playoffs, and I think that's a good thing. But you have yeah. to reward the top teams more. No because home field means nothing. With no fans, home field means nothing. It, it just it, – it's, it's no. almost – us uh and so yeah at least the top one or two teams should have gotten a buy um or you could do a format where there's a three game uh or there's a uh, like a two game series where the lower seeded team has to win twice and the top seed only has to win once right oh no question yeah you got i'm to- with you 100 they should have done so they should have done something to reward a team that's good right because there's going to be crappy teams playing and you know you could get Baltimore, Jake. You could get Detroit. Yeah. And they have two and they have two good games and you're done. You're done. I, it's going to be it's going to be fun from a baseball fan standpoint because it's going to be chaos. Right. But if you're the Twins or a good team or the Cubs or a good team or the Yankees and you're done in two games or two or three, um you're going to be pretty PO'd and I don't blame you and yeah, I I am surprised they didn't find a way when they restructured and went up to 16 teams total that they didn't find a way to somehow at least take the top seats and say, we're going to give you this break uh, because it's not necessarily good for the, for the sport as far as TV goes if it's the Orioles and Tigers now advancing past that first round. Right. But they didn't. But they want as much TV money as possible, and the way to get as yep. much TV money as possible is not to give anybody a buy and play the most amount of games you possibly can. I would have told Fox, though, and ESPN, who I think also has some rights, I would have said, do you really want the Yankees out? That's yeah. what I would have told them. Do you really want the Because this could be fluky, man. This is hockey. Okay. This is a puck off a breezer. Puck goes off an ass in, in uh, game seven of overtime, and all of a sudden we got a, a 16 seed advancing, and what the hell then? So. I mean, Cleveland could finish 25 and 35, sneaking as the eight, and they've got Shane Bieber starting game one. Yeah. Know, they, they could take out the Yankees or, or, you know, whoever, the Twins, if they're the one seed, you know, first round. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's not ideal. But it is what it is. It's a weird year. Let's just hope we get through it and to that playoffs and, and that these teams are healthy uh, because, as we've seen with the Cardinals, the Cardinals might just be done. I mean, it, or th- there's no way they're going to be able to play right. The Marlins are back and they can't lose. Oh, it's amazing. The Cardinals are going to come back and run the table. They're going to play 32 games and make the playoffs at the rate we're going. I know. The Marlins, the Marlins have, have now won uh, six consecutive games since their return. They're, they're 10, or I'm sorry, they're 7 and 1. They played eight games and they have an 875 win percentage, six consecutive wins. They're unstoppable. The COVID made them unstoppable. The Marlins are the face of the 2020 MLB season, without question. They are indeed. And with that, we are done. He's Jake. I'm Judd. Thanks for uh, listening to the Score North Twin Show. Back soon, I'm sure, to talk more about the Twins. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. 
And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know eight out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.